Everybody. Welcome back to Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement building show. I'm your host, Eric Mann, with the co-host in studio, Channing Martinez, also the producer. We're really happy to be on KPFK and lucky as heck to have this show. And very lucky that you're a truly amazing group of listeners who hang in with us, believe in us, and uh, we have a show we like today. We always have a show we like today because we... I want you to know we do prepare. We actually do work to get the show together. And Channing, so this is going to be about film reviews. And eventually we're going to go to the phones about 340, 345 to get your responses to our film reviews and also your suggestions of other films that you'd like us to review and thoughts you have on other films after you respond to our thoughts. So, film. Uh, film's so important, I think you know that, and for us, film is fundamentally political because everything is political. So, there's food and there's politics of food. There's film, there's books, there's visual art, there's dance. In a world in which everything is political, you choose to be part of something. And if you choose to do nothing, you're part of U.S. imperialism. You've joined the system. So you can't not be in, in something. If you drop out, you drop out in to the existing system. So have a good time. But when we're trying to change the system. And so Channing and I, among others, but particularly the two of us, we work together at the Labor Community Strategy Center. We also work together at the Strategy and Soul Movement Center where Again, a lot of us, but Channing and I in particular, are trying to really build up the film component. We have a wonderful strategy in Seoul Theater that has state-of-the-art technology. It has digital cinema projection and Dolby surround sound and all kinds of cool stuff. And we'd like to eventually have a, a much more active, disciplined film program that hopefully we can get underway pretty soon. So with that preface, Channing and I talk about film all the time, all the time, and 
We love to talk about film. We watch the same films together. We get to know each other in the process of talking about it. And then we have other friends who recommend films, like Mary Reich, who's at KPFK, and often sends me, hey, Eric, you should check this out. It's a really important film. And one film I'm going to review, which is from a recommendation she made, is the film Captain Fantastic today. But the main act today is Channing Martinez and his review of Maplethorpe. And uh, why don't you preface it, Channing, and take it away. Sure. So I saw this film, Maplethorpe. It actually came out in the U.S. in uh, 2018. So, you know, it's been almost a year. Um, I heard about it when it came out, but I was never able to see it. And so there was one weekend I wanted to spend it by myself. And so when my family was there, I loved them. (laughs) Um, But I saw this film and I was like, oh, it's a great opportunity to go see it. So it's directed and written by... Andy Timliner, and also written by Miko Allen. I'm sorry if I butchered their names. I'm not really that great. Um, And the featured actors are Harry Neff, Matt Smith, Brian Stokes, Mitchell. um, And I put two additional actors. They're the actors that are black in the film. Um, (laughs) uh, McKinley Belcher and uh, Rodney uh, Paul, who are two black men in the film, who I'll talk about. Um, So overall, you know, the film is about Robert Maplethorpe, um, just to dispel the myth. And Robert Maplethorpe is a queer artist, a queer photographer. Um, A lot of people know about him. He's, you know, probably world famous at this point. So I'll start with the review. This film has a look at the life of photographer Robert Maplethorpe from his rise to fame in the 1970s to his ultimate demise in in 1989. The film begins with Robert dropping out of Pratt Institute and beginning a relationship with Patti Smith until they depart when Maplethorpe finds himself infatuated with the male body. They're both working to become successful in their own fields, her as a poet, him as an artist. In fact, Maplethorpe shares a hotel room with her and pays for the room by trading his most prized pieces of art until he's able to sell them uh, for rent money. Maplethorpe says, I'm an artist. I would have been a painter, but the camera was invented, which is actually a very popular thing in the art school that a lot of people talk about. Um, That's a whole other conversation, though. Cool. Uh, And thus introduced the camera, and thus was introduced to the camera by uh, artist uh, Sandy Daly, who gives him a Polaroid camera. Uh, Maplethorpe meets Sam Wagstaff, a famous art collector who falls in love with Maplethorpe and helps him to uh, make connections in the art world he would never have made alone. There are several scenes of a young and unknown Maplethorpe being rejected by more than than 50 times when he shows his drawings and photographs of male nudes and abstract objects. Maplethorpe at first finds himself in love with Wagstaff, who is more than two times older than him, as said by IMDb user Ferguson Six, uh, the film never shies away from Maplethorpe's daddy issues. For uh, <laughs> daddy issues, his promiscuity, his drug use, his intolerance of those who didn't get his work, his fascination with the male genitalia in both art and personal life, is on full display as many of his actual photographs are shown throughout. 
Maplethorpe is hungry for attention, but when he gets it, he treats it as if he never really wanted it, just as long as he gets what he wants from them. With Wagstaff, his exposure to the art world, with his brother Edward, who was also a photographer, his exceptional darkroom skills and keen eye for beauty through the barrel of the lens, and finally with Milton Moore, a black man, his beautiful body absent of his mind and soul. Maplethorpe, through his sexual adventures, is diagnosed with HIV, which quietly turns to AIDS as he refuses to see a doctor. To some extent, I feel bamboozled. In school, Maplethorpe is touted to be a revolutionizer, revolutionizer, yeah, uh, in art and photography, and in the art and photography world. And to some extent, he actually is. Um, he's, you know, showing photographs of queer men in a heterosexual world of art, um, and a mainly white heterosexual world of art, right? Um, but what I like about the film is that it's very raw and very honest and shows the ambiguity of Maplethorpe's relationship to the black community. Today, in my opinion, we'd call his behavior a form of passive racism, but it's also ambiguous as he loves the black body but wants nothing to do with the black person, the black soul, the black mind. As a black queer man, I've ran into this a lot and it's extremely dehumanizing. Um, Milton Moore, a black man he meets walking down the street, is nothing more than a beautiful object in the eyes of, by then, a flamboyant and newly famous Maplethorpe. Mm. And what's disgusting is that he stops Moore and lures him into the studio in the same fashion that a human trafficker lures a woman into slavery. He tells him that he's beautiful and that he promises to make him a star. Very quickly, Maplethorpe makes his move to not just take pictures of him, but also to make sexual advances. They're dating, or I should say, Milton is held in his studio and, and maintained away from his family only by the promise of continuously being taken care of, but at the mercy of Maplethorpe whenever he wants to photograph him or has a sexual urge. They're together for a short, troubled stint in the film, that ends with Milton loudly exclaiming his disapproval of being called a little boy, a little black boy, and Maplethorpe's little, the, using the N-word. Um, he speaks about what's happening to, uh, to gay people who are being murdered. He's scared as a black gay man, not to mention his frustration with Maplethorpe's sinister form of humor and calling him out of his name. I get the concept of being infatuated by black bodies, the black form, the black culture, but to erase our humanity in the process is plainly racist on its face. First off, I'm very grateful for the education I've received at both El Camino College and Otis College of Art and Design, but I do feel kind of bamboozled to an extent because I'm taught that Maplethorpe I'm taught about Maplethorpe as being one of the few photographers of his time creating work around underground queer culture and bringing it into a white museum space. And he is one of the few white photographers capturing images of the black body in a main, mainstream capacity. And here is this film exposing the character of who he really is, just another white queer man in love with the black body who can't seem to erase the racism from the white psyche he was raised in. 
Now, here's where it gets complicated. I tend to stop here, and I tend to get pissed off and just leave it at that. Um, but, you know, with conversations with Eric, I realized that I am an organizer, and I have a responsibility to not just critique, but to, to take that to the next level. So you're angry. So what? What do you want to do about it? Um, and, you know, I've in many ways, I've chosen to not be like Robert Maplethorpe. Um, I am a black queer artist, and I grew up, you know, in the same, you know, I, I grew up in a very similar atmosphere as him, right, um, as a black queer artist. Um, and very much with the teachings of his, you know, his legacy and the legacy of photographers. Um, but I've chosen to actually join the movement. Um, I've decided to be a civil rights organizer to have real relationships with real people. I've joined the Strategy Center um, to seek out collective art making in the service of the movement. And, you know, we need more revolutionary artists who do not exploit people, who do not exploit relationships. Um, and, you know, that said, you know, I'm still trying to figure out who I am in many ways. I'm still trying to figure out my art and how it, how, you know, it works with the movement. But, you know, as a first step, I do know that you can't just be making art for yourself. You have to join the movement. You have to join a group to then make art and use your talents and use your skills for something that's larger than yourself. Um, and so with that, I just urge you to take this review as a lesson learned in many ways um, and then join a group. Well, I thought that was pretty wonderful. I mean, uh and I think you've already, you know, uh, you know, every life choice you make leads you in a bad or good direction. So what led you, because even leaving aside Maplethorpe, you go to Parsons, you go to El Camino, you are attractive, you're, you're talented, you got stuff. What was the lure of the system? You know, you could say, well, I'll be better than Maplethorpe, you watch me, I'll be in the museum, I'll do better than him. What made you choose to not do that, leaving aside the strategy center? What was not attractive to you about the education that you got? Because you, you learned a lot. We, we know that. Oh, but yeah. What led you to not be bamboozled? It's complicated. Um, I think what really led me is my first exhibit. I think we did a group exhibit at Otis. And... You know, just to talk about it on just the the pure emotional level first, um, you know, we built up a lot to that exhibit and we're building up. And I'm very excited. And then the exhibit happens and, you know, the day of the exhibit, I'm like, wait, that's it. And, you know, nothing's changing. There's no movement being built. It's right. just a piece of art on the wall. It's not doing anything to serve our communities. Um, I think I remember doing a piece around immigration. I took pictures of my passport and all of my documents. Um, you know, sort of like saying, here, you want my documents? I'll put it up on the wall for you. Um, so in some senses, it didn't, it didn't do it for me. Right. Just having my piece on the wall, not connected to anything, not connected to any actual action, just didn't do it to me, do it for me. I, you know... I am very grateful to have gone to Otis. I'm very grateful to be in any of the exhibits I've been in. But 
I also really felt myself at every single opening a longing to do more um, than just put my art out on the wall. Well, I think one reason that people sell out is because they like it. And some reason we don't is because we don't like it. I mean, I've never been very attracted to the system. I mean, I, I went to Cornell. I had a lot of cool things happen. I liked a lot of things, but I didn't like even who I was there. And then I went to, to South Bronx on the summer and worked with community people. And I, I even thought I was a much better person. I, was, I found them much more attractive. I found the community more attractive. Oh, yeah. You know, so I wasn't doing anybody a favor. It wasn't like I really want to go there, but I should go there. Where I should go and where I wanted to go, fortunately, were the same place. That's great. You know, I think you, that's what I'm trying to say is you had a similar experience. Oh, you, yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, so this is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is all I get. Well, you know, it's also, it's, you know, to an extent, it's also counterposed to the Serenity Center and the Bus Riders Union, which I was involved in. And, you know, it was the height. It's, you know, the Strategy Center has many heights of its, you know, graphical and artistic, you know, forms of organization. And, you know, that we had the we had the drum and chant crew. Uh, we had uh, Nicole Eng, who was doing the graphic design. She created a a, a character, uh, Super Pasaeta, in graphics, who was like, you know, really cool and telling an entire bus company to stop and that we're actually coming after you. And so, you know, the movement in many ways and the strategy center in many ways knows how to speak to the totality of people, right? Knows how to speak to people in very many ways. Whereas art school, I'm very appreciative, but it only spoke to me or spoke to a, a you know, very small part of who I am. The voice you're just listening to is Channing Martinez. The other voice is me, Eric Mann, and we're co-hosts of Voices from the front line. So obviously we're talking about art, politics, Maplethorpe, and queer black men, and Pratt Institute, and uh, all kinds of interesting Otis School of Art and Design. And we're going to keep the conversation going a little bit because I think it's really important. Um, you know, the there's so many models of the that the Strategy Center is based on, and my life is based on, and other people's lives who are involved in it. Um, you know, in the so-called 60s, which was such an amazing period, you know, you'd go, like I was with the Congress of Racial Equality, right? And I worked very closely with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And a lot of the categories they use today, which are trying to sort of break out of a totality, I guess it's part of the deconstruction concept that every specific thing must be given its specificity, which we understood. It's not like we didn't get specificity. And contradiction, even. But an example was, you know, you'd, you know, you'd sort of go to core, and then you'd, as I keep saying, I would go to the Village Vanguard, and I'd see Horace Silva playing, and wow. he was just such a great artist, you know. And the song for my father is one of my very, very, very famous, fam uh, favorite songs. And afterwards, I, I've told you this before. I, w I just walk up to him and I say. Mr. Silver, hi, I'm Eric Mann. I'm with the Congress of Racial Equality. And before I finish my sentence, he says, oh, great, I want to do a benefit for you guys. Wow. And I was like, I didn't even have to do anything, but he knew. I mean, Horace Silver saw himself as part of the 
the movement. And uh, also, by the way, because I'm going to do a very critical review of Green Book next week. But Don Shirley, which was not shown in that really bad film, was in the civil rights movement. He was a friend of Dr. King's. He was with friends of Nina Simone, who was as close to a black communist as you're going to get. So what I'm saying is none of that was shown in, in the film. But what I'm getting to is there was such a more seamless relationship between art and politics then. So when the book came out that I showed you, uh, nothing personal. Did I you have get it? it? I have it. Oh, okay, cool. No, stay, stay, stay. It's cool. But there's a wonderful book by Richard Avedon, the photographer, and James Baldwin, the great writer. Avedon is white and gay, and uh, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, and well, maybe. I don't know. He was very sexual with a lot of people. Who I knows? Think he was like he was, pan. Yeah, he was pan. That's whatever what it, it's called. He yeah. was. He was. Uh, whatever he was, he was doing great. So <laughs> he was a very handsome, dynamic guy. And and uh, and what's beautiful about it is the photography. Like when he shows George Wallace being a racist, the picture just shows George Wallace being a racist. There was no need <laughs> for text. He shows these older white. Daughters of the American Revolution women, and it's just disgraceful just looking at them. Oh, he, yeah. you know, but he can't. That's not easy. That's what a photographer does. And then Baldwin writes the text. And but here's the point: in Cor and Snick, we all had that book. Really? It was oh yeah, that's what I was saying. It was like a big, you know, what do you call it, coffee table book. Oh wow! But we all had that book. He they brought it to Cor. They brought it to Snick. There was Jerome Smith in there. There were two civil rights organizers, beautiful, you know, black faces caught by Abaddon. So I want to go back and maybe you and I could do another show on nothing personal, you know, because what I'm getting to is Nina Simone would come by, Horace Silva would come by, Harry Belafonte would come by. Are they artists or are they movement people? They were primarily movement people, but they were also great, great, great artists who were trying to figure out their craft. So I think for you, Channing, you're really important, you know, because you are young, gifted, and black, and you have a talent, and you're trying to figure out still the politics of your own art right. and the form of your own art, right? right? And that's so am I. I mean, this show is another form of it is, yeah. spoken word and art, so... Uh, very exciting to work with you and a great review. Um, tell me last thoughts about, so where do you want to go with your photography? Uh, that's a big open <laughs> question. So, talk out loud. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I, you know, when I ended a lot of, uh, like, how should I say it? When I ended at Otis, a lot of what I was doing was exploring the body. Um, and some, you know, a little bit sadly, unsadly, that was, a lot of that work was actually, you know, inspired by Maplethorpe and seeing right. Maplethorpe's work um, and seeing that, you know, the black body is not exhibited as much in public or if it is exhibited, it's exhibited as an object. And so, you know, some of that, you know, that's what it is on its surface. Right, right, but right. some of it, I look back and I realize, damn, I was having, you know, identity issues of my own. And some of some of my work was a way to then figure out things in my own head. Um, and, of course. You know, uh, figure out concepts of how do you, 
how do black people love themselves in many ways. So uh, I don't know. I think I'm moving more towards film and filmmaking good. Good. in many ways. Um, I see a lot of the ways that we are showing films at strategy and soul. And I see some of the things that are left out of films. And I realize we have a political line. Where is our political line in films? And so in some ways, you know, my photography or art or our photography and art is moving towards how do we get the movements and the movements line, political lines into a public form, a public uh, dialogue of ideas, I guess I should say. Yeah, and one more last thing, and then Ricky will take a break and we'll take some music, and I'm going to do uh, some other reviews. And then I just want to really have a lot of the callers respond to Channing's review, which I just think, you know, is obviously very moving. And I have one more thought. Uh, 818-985-5735. You can start calling now, but we'll probably take it. Uh, I'm going to re- do another review of about 345. We'd love to talk to you. Um, oh, I have one thought that... You know, often you have somebody that is very influential, like Maplethorpe, and then you go through a rejection period because then you realize, you know, I was either seduced or duped or, you know, it's not really that. You just, there was something there, you know, that you were attracted to. But then you see something you really don't like that you want to break with. So then you break with it. And then when you're in a little more confident, clear position, you revisit it and say, you know, he still did some pretty good things, you know, and I can, now that I'm clear, I can revisit and find the appreciation and find what was influential about him towards me, and then I move on and build my own stuff. It's true. It's true. I hadn't thought about that. You know, so thanks, everybody. That was really a lot of fun. Ricky, we're going to take a break. If that's okay, I'll be right back. you with Eric and Channing on Voices. <laughs> Great. Is that Stevie Wonder? Yes, it is. I didn't. I've never. I swear, I don't think I've ever heard this amazing song. I've never either. Thank you, Ricky. That's very cool. Keep keep coming up with stuff. All right. No, that was great. So, hey, everybody, you're back on Voices from the Front Lines. And one thing is, we would love you to send us emails. We actually would answer them. Uh, you can send an email to me, Eric, at Voices from the Front Lines. Everything that goes to me also goes to Channing. You can send a letter to Channing at Channing at thestrategycenter.org. Everything you sent to him goes to me. But you want to respond maybe directly to his terrific review and suggest things. Tell us about books you like. Tell us about films you like. Tell us things. And we will read them on the air. And we, we often 
uh, that's how I learn about a lot of things. People will say, hey, you got to see this film, you got to see this book. So Eric at Voices from the Frontlines, and also if you go on our website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com, you can register, just click on, and you'll get a pretty much weekly email that we put out about the show. It'll uh, We're also going to try to put out something uh, about Florence Bracey's excellent book on autism. We're going to have, you, you'll be able to hear the interview but also send out an email to that effect with a link. So we're we're on a roll now at Voices, and I'm going to do a review of Captain Fantastic. So Captain Fantastic was uh, directed by Matt Ross, written by Matt Ross. The featured actors are Viggo Mortensen, George McKay, and Samantha Eisler. Their storyline is, in the forests of the Pacific Northwest, a father devoted to raising his six kids with a vig- rigorous physical and intellectual education, is forced to leave his paradise and enter the world, challenging his idea of what it means to be a parent. Classically terrible IMDb summary since it's a very political film and he's not just in the Northwest, he's actually trying to develop a revolutionary counterculture that's actually pro-socialist and pro-communist. Whoa. So, thank you IMDb for missing the point. All right, but uh, that's what you got us for. So, uh, all right, I really like Captain Fantastic. It's not that I mind being manipulated by a good tearjerker, but in Hollywood and even some good filmmakers in the end have bad politics, I'm being asked to suspend not just disbelief, but my political principles for a good ride, a.k.a. the Green Book. And yes, I thought the <laughs> film was racist and parasitic, and I'm working on a long review and an alternative screenplay for next week. But this explains my true enthusiasm for Captain Fantastic, because it has its limits, but within its story, it's true to itself and I think very deeply moving. And one other thing, that in the, one of the cool things about the present period is we don't have to review films that are, quote, presently in theaters. I mean, thanks to, you know, thanks to Netflix and Amazon and then YouTube and all kinds of stuff, if I want to review a film that came out in 1934, that's what we'll talk about and go see it. So half the stuff out is not even worth talking about, let alone reviewing. <laughs> Telling. All right. So to begin with, I did not expect the hippie family to have such good politics. Not hippie or Bernie politics, which I don't particularly like. Not anarchism that I don't particularly like, but a structured radical Marxism that was real. A kind of hippie Marxism in the best sense of the concept. Now, I'm going to give you a little plot summary. So uh, it opens up with uh, they're all white people in, in the forest in the Pacific Northwest. And there's a father with no mother present at the time, six kids. And he's putting them through a very rigorous kind of homeschooling, uh, martial arts development. Yes, they kill a deer, which since I grew up on Bambi is still almost impossible to see. I really, and but it's killing a deer at least to eat it, and it's a rite of passage for the boy. And they are building essentially a, a, a commune similar to the new thing I like uh, called Hannah, where she and her father are just in the middle of the woods for 10 years. But that's another story. So the, the interesting thing is they learn French, they learn Spanish, they learn math, they sing, they dance, but they have politics, and they are interestingly... Their patron saint is Noam Chomsky, who, oh, is, wow. who is pretty good. So the fact that Matt Ross uh, 
has some politics, and he knows who Noam Chomsky is. It's not a throwaway line. And Noam Chomsky is one of the truly great anti-fascist, anti-imperialist, uh, you know, public thinkers and stuff. So the fact that they pray to the uh, God of Noam Chomsky is, is pretty good in itself, <laughs> right? So, all right. So to begin with, uh, I didn't expect the hippie family to have such good politics, uh, a radical structural Marxism that was a real hippie Marxism in the best sense of the concept. The relationship to nature, the strict rules, the discipline, the fun, and the concept that discipline and fun can be coexistent and, in fact, necessary. Each kid is given real individuality and also collectivity. Again, capitalism's lie that if you accept discipline and collectivity, you lose your, oh my God, your individuality, as if there can be any relevant individual development outside of a deep caring for and commitment to society. Hegel, I thought Engels, but I was wrong. Hegel said, freedom is the recognition of necessity, which I agree with. And Marge Piercy said in a great poem, to be of use, is our only reason to be on the earth. So in this film, the father, dealing with the mental illness and probably not return of his beloved wife, is carrying on the best he can, being a creative and wonderful dad. And his family has the elements of both a commune and a cult. But when upon the death of his wife, by suicide, and one good thing is he believes in just strict honesty. So he says, kids, uh, mom slit her throat and killed herself. And that's what he believes, uh, how a parent should be. And I think for the most part, that is how a parent should be. So that was modeled as of a conscious choice on his part to not use euphemisms and vaguenesses and stuff. They all knew that the mom was, was suffering from massive depression and had gone away to a mental hospital. So the father, dealing with the mental illness and probably not return of a public wife, is carrying on the be public beloved wife, is carrying on the best he can. Uh, but with the death of the mom, he has to go into the, quote, real world first to crash her funeral. There's a whole scene where they don't believe in funerals, and she wanted definitely to be cremated in the ocean. She did not want to be buried. So there's a whole thing about them crashing the funeral to uh, as a countercultural act by the whole family. So one thing is the politics of Mac Ross, who I saw as an actor on Silicon Valley, and I thought on the show, Big Love. But anyway, he's very politically conscious. There's a great line by the oldest son who's very political and very serious so his father says to him, are you still a Trotskyite? And he says, Dad, first of all, it's a Trotskyist. And only Stalinists call them Trotskyites. And anyway, I'm now a Maoist. It's very funny and correct and speaks to one-tenth of one percent of the audience. But fortunately, me and Leanne, who got the joke, and me, who cracked up. So these are politically conscious people who really hate the system. So... Given that it's Hollywood, we should assume the film will eventually show their decline and fall, their internal contradictions, <laughs> and they will return to the system penitent and so much wiser that life is all about growing up and doing what the system wants us to do. <laughs> so then the film puts, but it doesn't. The film puts forth cartoon-like grandparents, uh, Frank Langella and Ann Dowd, great actors and actresses, and beyond cartoon-like bad capitalist grandparents. So when they go at the funeral, 
everything they say, there's all these kind of uh, mugging, like, oh, did you hear what she just said? Oh, these kids, we must take them away from the father. Oh, this is so terrible. You know, there was nothing. It was not even that radical. So anyway, they go to a funeral. It made no sense that 150 people attended for a woman who lived in the woods and was in a mental hospital for months. They try to take away the kids. But then there's a scene where the daughter almost dies through perhaps her father's uh just belief in taking risks and letting the kid do something she wanted to do. And then his son rebels against him. And it's very convincing. Uh, his efforts to keep the family together and perhaps even keep his wife in their paradise eats away at his confidence. And then he shays to show how truly handsome Viggo Mortensen is. He lost a lot of weight since the terrible Green Book as uh, I'm going to just knock Green Book every two minutes. Uh, so he is truly a handsome man, by the way, as he seduced the gorgeous Diane Lane in Walk on the Moon, which is another cool movie I like. So as he sees the contradictions in his old worldview, including his berating his son for applying and getting to, into every great school, Harvard, Yale, MIT, but apparently he was rejected at Cornell, otherwise he would have mentioned it in the script, he loses confidence in himself. But the kids actually rescue him from self-pity. They reject the grandparents. They go find him in the woods because, as they say, Noam Chomsky knows best. What a great line and concept. And the specific quotes from Chomsky about resisting illegitimate authority are ones that moved millions, including me. During the 60s, the whole issue was you don't have to know what to do. You resist illegitimate authority. The government is illegitimate. We don't have any loyalty to your laws, to your wars, to your racism. That's such still, if you don't know what else to do, resist illegitimate authority and you won't mm. go too far from right. And the struggle to disinter his wife, where they try to bring her out of the grave and to bring her to a funeral par with great singing was beautiful. And then... He has to make concessions to society, so he does, in fact, allow and bless his son's voyage out of the forest, only to find out the kid chooses to go to Zimbabwe, not Harvard. That's magnificent, because one of the weaknesses of the film is it's not good on the national question. So his kid figures that out and says, I don't want to be one of those white hippies in the Northwest. I want to go to Zimbabwe, not Harvard. So that was a good line, good line. And it's make, so then it, it, the film ends with him making the lunches so the kids could go to a real school because they can't homeschool him anymore. Oh, boy. But that was a minor concession, the point, because it shows in the end the kids wanted to go back to where they were. It shows in the end that what he and his wife chose to build was real and good, and the kids, like mine did as well, chose their parents against society and believed in their vision that was good for them as they grew up. It also showed that, yes, people with strong views do make mistakes, do go too far sometimes, but unlike most films that try to show revolutionaries as heartless true believers, this film shows that if a worldview is fundamentally good, those views cannot be rejected because of their and our mistakes. Our job is to see our errors, make corrections, and stay on the path. Because U.S. society, a.k.a. U.S. imperialism, is morally and politically bankrupt and decadent and resistance is essential. 
And yes, I cried in all the right places and probably some of the wrong ones too. So Eric Mann on Captain Fantastic. That was amazing. <laughs> that was really amazing. That was beautiful. Um, I I get I get how you're saying it's complicated because <laughs> it it sounds very it's it's gonna sound weird, but it sounds like almost like a socialist Jumanji in some ways. What's a Jumanji? Jum, you know the film Jumanji? Oh no, I haven't seen it yet. Oh my god! So it's a film from the '90s, and it's about this game, this board game that basically comes to life. And it's about the jungle, and they're going through all these uh, these different situations. And each move, with each move, comes a new like journey. Um, but they're doing so as a family, right? So that it is it so, reminds so me good. A little bit of a like a socialist Jumanji, and so yeah. Um, you t- hold your thought for a minute, and I'm, we're going to go to eight one eight. Nine eight five five seven three five. Me and Channing can talk for two hours, so we you don't need to call. Okay. But if you want to call, we'd love to hear your response to Maplethorpe and to Captain Fantastic first, and then tell us about other films that you like that you want us to consider reviewing. But we'd really like you to respond to the two reviews, especially to the Maplethorpe. But they're both, in some way, a good um, yin and yang in some way. So keep going if you had any other more thoughts. Yeah, um, you know, it shows... Oh, no, we, we have a caller. A real caller? A real caller. Um, but I'll say this really quick yeah. while they're getting it. Yeah. Is that, you know, I like the review because it highlights a little bit your role as a parent in the movement. And, you know, for those who are trying to figure out how to raise their children separate from society, it sounds like a really great example of look at how much effect it can have. Look how much... of Look how much of an effect you can have as someone who wants to be separate from, you know, the United States and the imperialist regime. Well, one thing that Leanne, my wife Leanne, and I talk about a lot is we were in a communist organization for 10 years. We had our own child care system. Everybody had to do child care. Everybody wanted to do child care. No, we didn't have collective ownership of children, but we had collective <laughs> life of children. And the kids, uh, both my daughters, Celia and Melinda, are very proud. They grew up in a very multiracial, overwhelmingly people of color uh, preschool that we created. You know, And we all did child care, and we all loved each other's kids. We didn't just take care of our kids. And they grew up in a, in a greater sense of collectivity. And Celia and Melinda are out in the world working primarily in the black community and doing great stuff. So uh, we must have done something right. No, we did a lot right. And that's a lot what the film reminded me of, that there's so much... This We're living in a period of repudiation and recantation. A lot of people who were in the movement are now very self-critical. They don't like this. They don't like that. They're sorry they... You know, SNCC did this wrong, the communists did this wrong, they're writing all these articles, and then just going back to the system. So if you want to go back to the system, just go. Don't write a book about how bad the movement was to you. Just just go. So we feel validated that the choices we made, and again, we made our own mistakes, but our kids said, yeah, we, we, we had a good childhood, and they've grown up to be really great adults, and now we have great-grandchildren who are... Also fighting the police. So here we go. Uh, Nancy from Brentwood, of course. Hello, Nancy from Hi. Brentwood. 
Hi, hi. Hi, hi. Okay, first things first. Janine, I hope you do become a filmmaker, number one, because you are both very subtle, but also very intense. And you could put that very well, I think, in, in a movie. So you got my support on that, okay? All right. And uh, the second movie, uh, and by the way, Maplethorpe was, I remember the controversy around him and, and the, the cruc- crucifixion and piss and all, you know, all this stuff. That, oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, you remember? <laughs> it's like, well, that, that, that happened then. But anyhow, uh, and I really like the statement that, Eric, you just, you just made about uh, people being self-critical, which I think is important. But you don't leave the movie. You know, I personally, we should never, we, we need to be people, people to be critical in the movement in a, in a reflective way so that we can learn from our mistakes. The second part, uh, the, uh, the second movie, Captain... Um, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, is intriguing because what, is I, what I see in it is like a seed of uh, a sense of developing survival skills in the wild, but also in the cities. Because, you know, we're going to come to a time where it's going to be really scary. I mean, I hate to say this. And we had to be prepared for it. And I think training our children to be revolutionaries and also those survival skills in one way or another is very important. I think that's great, Nancy. I mean, seriously, that I think you're right, that there's a lot of discussion uh, about uh, what do you call it, adaptation right now because mm-hmm. of climate crises. Yes. And there's going to be, as you say, I mean, I need to really more systematically um, understand this body of work. But, you know, there's discussion of what do you do if the water's polluted? What do you if yeah. two if the yeah. temperature's 110 to 120 degrees? What do you do if L.A. is a complete desert? Yeah. What do you do if people are going to be killing each other over food and water? Yeah. So uh, you're absolutely right that the combination of political consciousness, self-organization, um, building up survival school skills, and as you said, not just in the rural areas but in the urban areas where about 85 to 90 percent of the U.S. now has been unfortunately urbanized. Yeah. Uh, so keep going. That's cool. Any other thoughts about? And this is 818-985-5735. And Nancy, I'm so glad you you take the show seriously. And Nancy Lawrence is a friend of ours and a friend of and member of the Strategy Center and one of our best callers. And uh, we'd love to hear from other people out there. 818-985-5735. Any other thoughts, Nancy, before we go to the next car? Okay. Uh, If you'd like to talk to us, uh, we have about seven or eight minutes, 818-985-5735. If you want to respond to the review of Maplethorpe and the review of Captain Fantastic, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, What do you think, Channing? Yeah, so, you know, what's intriguing me right now is the ending how they go back to this is yeah, right. with Captain uh, Fantastic, yeah, right? Yeah. How they go back to society and you know, I, when you said it, I was I sort of did like a little grunt, but now I'm thinking about it more, and I think that's a very interesting move because it's it sort of feels like it sets up a situation where you're watching the film almost as if you're one of the children. Right. inside of this training. And you, the filmmaker, it feels like he knows that you are going to walk out of this theater at some point. 
and go back into the imperialist United States. And so in some ways, if I'm putting myself in his shoes, I'm trying to feel, trying to think, how do I then highlight that, that you need to go back and talk about what you just learned in some sense. I'm wondering if that's, you know, maybe some of the motivation behind the ending in some sense. Well, the way I read it is that, uh, and Jordi, I'll get to you in a minute. I'm glad you called Jordi Francino. See, I think a lot of people misunderstand about, or I have a different view of, are you dropping out or dropping in? I mean, I'm very much part of society. I do a lot of things like everybody else on, you know, I drive a car, I go to the movies, I make money, I spend money. But I think I'm pretty much out. I'm not in. And I'm working every day to take the system on. They know that. I mean, uh, the move people were, were in society. They were right on the block next to everybody mm-hmm. else. And they killed them because they offered an alternative to the existing society. You don't have to go into the mountains to, you know, the the more fundamental resistance is to work inside the institutions, and I don't mean inside, you know, you're in an institution to fight inside your church, to fight inside your hospital, fight inside your union, and build structures, and that's what the Captain Fantastic was about. They still had a structure. They liked their structure. Right. And they went back to that structure. And they, all right, so now he bags the lunches and he doesn't self-teach. But they didn't want to go to their grandfather. Mm. You know, they, they wanted to go. They went back to the, the, the forest. But they, then there was a school bus. <laughs> That's all. And it didn't end the experiment. Anyway, it's very deeply moving. And, and uh, I like the film a lot. Uh, oh, cool. Hey, Jordy and Encino. Nice to hear from you. And then we got Rick and Marlene. Hey, Jordy, what's oh, happening? Right. Hey, hi. Um, I apologize because I just basically turned in. Oh, I'm kidding. Ago, Don't worry. It was already enough to see that this is probably one of the most important topics we could possibly be talking about, especially if you're a parent. I'm actually literally about to walk into my son's school to pick him up. Right. Five and a half. And obviously, I think about this every day. What's the best way of parenting my own kid so that he has critical thinking and he's a moral human being, uh, starting from now. Captain Fantastic is the only movie I have seen, I believe, from the ones that you were discussing. It obviously made me think a lot. Mm, my my hat goes off to Abigo Mortensen. We all know that, uh, aside from being a very uh, successful, um, popular actor, he's also very committed in the world of poetry, art, etc. Right. So I obviously watched the movie. And... Uh, I have to say, the only thing I didn't like about the movie is the scene where they are actually learning to steal inside the supermarket. Uh, but um, I think that the movie really uh, shows tremendous themes, uh, such as, uh, someone said, uh, survival, but also defense, self-defense, how to kick butt if you need to, stand for yourself. Um, I think that how he was teaching his kids to really read and, and read the important books, the classics, so that they could really uh, debate and have a, a, an opinion exactly on right. that is based right. on, 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 on you know, common sense, uh, was very powerful. At the same time, it also presents the movie the importance of being able to socialize and function in a system that is beyond that bus and beyond that family, right? And... Um, the problem is that... Jordi, I'm going to have to let you go because uh, why don't you send us an email, eric at Voices from the Frontlines. I would like to continue 
the conversation. So the good thing is they weren't stealing Jordy. They were liberating the food. You have to remember. It was <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you, so much. Uh, Rick, nice to hear from you. You're on Voices with Channing and Eric. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Eric, for this. Uh, Mabel Thorpe, uh, always a hero of mine from the, uh, the cross in the bottle. And uh, as a former Catholic, uh, forced Catholic, till I was uh, 13, 14, when I saw uh-huh. through all the nonsense and quit, uh, I was grateful for this guy and his com- compassion and his putting forth the proper um, you know, perceptions, as I would call it, and to get away from the Hollywoodism and the nonsense that we were uh, perpetrated within, within us in the public pool system. So uh, that's my comment on him. And uh, as far as the race issue is concerned, it's racialism, and racialism is a religion, sir, because racialism says that the United, the people of the, the planet are divided into separate races, and that's a lie. There's no scientific basis whatsoever for that. And so, therefore, all this talk about racial justice means nothing. It's, it's a game. Race is, we are the human race, and that because we have the hue, we have the melanin, and that's what makes us the human. Thank you very much. Jenny? Sure. Um, I appreciate the, a lot of uh, what he had to say. Um, you know, Maplethorpe was a very big inspiration for a lot of people, including myself. I've never seen the male body. I forgot about the, the his piece, uh, Piss Christ, where he put the... You know, cross in a big, you know, I'm trying not to say a lot. Um, But I think, though, you do have to – I don't agree with this culture of all all human race type of situation. I don't agree with that. Um, If that were true, the United States would not be oppressing black people in particular. Um, And slavery would never existed and black people would still not be the target – of the actual system's racism right now. And so race is a very real concept. And black people are very real, in a real way, going through genocide in the United States and around the world. Got it. We agree. Uh, let's see. Uh, who is next? Is it Daniel? Marlene. Hi, Marlene. You're with Eric and Channing on Voices from the Frontlines. We all felt bad for you because you weren't getting calls. So, see, we're all out here listening. Thank you. That meant a lot. <laughs> you, you felt my need. And, and we didn't want to intrude, you know, to take <laughs> the time. So, anyway, I agree with what Channing had to say about the racism. And Maple thought, do you remember George Carlin's uh, thing about too hip for the room? His saying too hip for the room? Mm-mm. We're listening. So anyway, about Maple thought. I think probably I wasn't, maybe I'm not too hip to get him. Because when, um, when, when I saw the photos of his photos of the black, of black men, I didn't get love from the photos. Hmm. So, hmm. for whatever that's worth. It's and, worth uh, a lot. That is, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't get love. I got, I, got, I got an exploitation or like, we're putting these men on display, you know. Anyway. No, not anyway. Very helpful. Only because, Ricky, we have one minute? Okay. Marlene, thank you very much. I'm going to email you about a movie, and I want you to address um, uh, Bill Moore's things, comments about the hotels on your next show. All right. We got a deal. We got Marlene. 
we, we have great callers. I mean it, all of you. Whatever you say, it's right. thoughtful. We don't have to agree with you. You don't have to agree with us. Nina Simone, who was friendly with Dr. Don Shirley in the terrible film Green Book, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> singing the last song. And, uh, yeah, we love you, Vigo Mortensen, and we love you, Mahershala Ali. You guys are cool. Uh, thank Channing, I was very moved by what you did and, and very proud of, you know, you, you're whatever, just like you a lot. <laughs> thank <laughs> so, you so much. That's the general concept. So, everybody, thank you. Thank my kids. Thank Leanne. Thank everybody. Thank Mary for the recommendation on a great film. And thank KPFK for letting us have this wonderful show. We'll see you next Tuesday. I am going to do a review of Green Book, and I'm just trying to do it slow because there's a lot to digest. Take good care of yourselves. Eric at Voices from the Frontlines. Channing at thestrategycenter.org. Take good care. We'll see you next week. All power to the people. Without exemption. Yeah, oh, much more.